Father, I thank you that indeed you never stop working. Lord, this 4th of July weekend as we have gathered with friends or family as we have celebrated the birth of our nation, we're reminded of the chaos that is happening throughout our country. And Father, I pray today that you would continue to move. And we acknowledge that there are times when we're not able to see what you are doing. But you have reminded us today that you continue to move, that you continue to work, even when we're not able to see how that is working. It's happening. And so, Father, today I pray, Lord, that you would bring about a change and a shift in our nation. I pray that you would begin to turn the hearts of men and women and young people and that their hearts would be literally focused on you. Father, you have blessed us with a great nation and the world is watching and the world is waiting to see what is going to happen. And I pray that what they will see, what they will be witnesses to, is the power of God moving upon our nation again. Father, I thank you for the freedom that we have to worship you, to lift up the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the blessing of this great nation. And we pray, God, never stop moving. Never stop working by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you today. It's really a privilege that you have joined us here uh, welcome to Church Online here at Silver Creek. My name is Kevin Taylor. I'm the pastor at Silver Creek, and it is really great to be gathering with you here today. I'm excited to let you know that we will once again be worshiping in person here at Silver Creek beginning July 19th, and we will be social distancing. We will be using all of the practices recommended by the CDC, and we're looking forward to being together once again. But we want you to know that our church online will continue, and we're going to continue to invest and put energy into church online because you are important to us and we want to continue to gather with you whether you are part of our church family that doesn't feel ready to come back to in-person services yet or whether you're somebody that is connected with us and our church family online and so we want you to know that we value you and we're looking forward to what God is going to be doing in the future here at Silver Creek. This morning I'm beginning a new series of messages. I'm very excited about it. The series is called simply Pivot. And today I want to share a message with you from this new series and I'm titling that message as a nation. And as we go into this series, I want to start really by uh, defining what I mean by the word pivot. And pivot is to shift to a new strategy. So we're going to be talking about p 
pivot for the next several weeks and different aspects of our lives um, that need to pivot. We're going to start today with our nation. I don't know, uh, I'm sure that you have noticed it, but many people, Many people are using the, 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 the words new normal. They can't wait. I, I can't wait to get back to what we call a new normal. It's become really popular, um, but, but it's used so much so that even some people are, are recognizing that, that really what we're, we're searching for um, is really the old normal, and we want to get back to it in the future. And the reality is that, that the new normal is not going to be the old normal. It's going to be different. Our nation is looking for a new normal. I want you to think about this for just a second. Over the past three months, we have uh, been experiencing a, a, a global pandemic, COVID-19, and that's been going on since the end of March. Um, we've gone from the, the, the pandemic to the racial unrest that has been happening around uh, our, our nation. We have experienced um, uh, CHAZ or CHOP, depending on what acronym you want to use, the, the uh, talking about the, the autonomous zone, the Capitol Hill autonomous zone. We are now seeing a cry for defunding police. There are uh, communities that are, that are uh, considering um, cutting millions, even a billion dollars from a city's police force um, because of the protests that are happening. The divide in our nation continues to grow. As I was watching the news, I saw one report of the New York City Black Lives Matter president, uh, Hawk Newsom, and Hawk said this, if this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and replace it. He went on to say, you can take that figuratively or literally, but America needs to pivot and to pivot very soon. We need to shift to a new strategy. And so this morning, I'd like to look at three different things that I believe that we need to keep in mind as we begin to look for this new shift in our nation. As we remember that we are one nation under God, how do we shift in a godly way to bring about the changes that we desire for our nation? The first thing is this, that we're never too big to fail. I don't know if you remember it, but back in 08 or 09, uh, the, there were, with our, 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 our national car uh, manufacturers, there were several of those companies that went bankrupt. And it was really popular at that time to talk about how these companies were so big that they were actually too big to fail. And, and so the government stepped in and actually bailed a couple of them out and, and made it so they could literally could not and would not fail. And so I want us to think of this phrase, too big to fail, and I want us to look back to the Old Testament. You remember King David. Under King David's leadership, Israel's army grew. In fact, David 
counted the army, and he did so against God's um, direction. And God actually brought punishment onto the nation of Israel for doing so. But in that counting, David, uh, his general, was able to count that Israel's fighting force had risen to 1.1 million soldiers. So then David passes on leadership of the nation from himself to his son Solomon. And the Bible tells us that Solomon was a a man, the wisest man that ever lived. Uh, We read that Solomon's wealth grew to the place that it was greater than any other king in the world. And that other world leaders would travel to Jerusalem to speak with and have an audience with Solomon to glean from his wisdom to see the way that he did things and to observe for themselves the wealth that he had accumulated. We read about this in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, and I just want to review a few of the things that were happening there. And we see that after Solomon's reign in Israel, he then passes uh, the kingdom onto his son, the nation of Israel, onto his son, and within a very, very short period of time, this nation, with the greatest wealth, probably one of the greatest uh, fighting forces on the face of the earth, with a king so glorious that others come just to witness that glory and that majesty, the kingdom, the nation of Israel divides into two kingdoms called Israel and Judah. Now, Judah was the smaller of the two, and, and the Bible tells us that, that the kingdom of Judah abandoned the law of the Lord. You see, they pivoted away from God. Solomon's grandson became the king at that time. It was a man named Asa. And Asa, the Bible tells us, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, even though the nation had pivoted away from God. And as the leader, Asa began to remove much of the the idol worship aspects that had risen up over the past decades in the nation of Israel and in his own kingdom of Judah. And the Bible says that because of Asa's decision, because of his leadership, that kingdom began to prosper. Now, as they were moving forward, as they were moving along, the Bible says that the king uh, of the Cushite army, they descended onto the people of Judah. They marched against them. And the Bible says there in 2 Chronicles 15 that a vast army marched against Judah. And it says a thousand thousands. And a thousand thousands, that, is, that number is one million. Now, we don't know if that's exactly the number. We don't know if, if, it was, um, if that was just a, a figurative number that we read about in scriptures. Uh, but, I, but I want you to understand that this was a, a very vast and massive army. The Bible says that uh, they came with 300 chariots. Now, let's look at Judah for a moment. And Judah, their 
their soldiers number 580,000. And uh, I, I, I realized, and I, I, I was thinking about the, uh, this as I was preparing my message, I remember the Bible talking about King Solomon, Asa's grandfather, that he amassed uh, 1,400 chariots. So I don't know if something happened to those chariots in the meantime, um, but the Bible talks about the 300 chariots that the Cushite army has as being very significant and the number of their soldiers being very significant and Judah's numbering at 580,000. So if we if the Cushite army has a million and and uh, the the Judah's army has 580,000, you see that it's almost a two-to-one ratio. And the Bible says that Asa called on the Lord his God. Asa called on the Lord his God. And here's what he said. He said, God, we rely on you as our God. In fact, he said, God, it, it is in your name that we come against the Cushites. They're going to come and attack us, but we are coming in your name. You are our God. We rely on you. And the Bible says that the Lord struck down the Cushite army. I want you to think about that. A million soldiers or somewhere in that neighborhood, certainly it was a number that was great enough that Israel, or excuse me, that Judah would wonder, could, could we even succeed? But Asa goes to the Lord, God, we rely on you. It is in your name that we come against this army. And the Lord struck down the Cushite army. In fact, it was at that time that the prophet in Judah said that God was speaking to them and said, if you seek God, he will be found. But if you forsake God, he will forsake you. I want to read from 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 14 to 16, and here, or rather 4 to 6, and here's what it says. But in their distress, there was still distress at this time. It says they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, and one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. Chronicles also tells us that at this time, the people of Judah entered into a very special covenant with God. And so things in the nation were really, they were beginning to really turn around. Things in the kingdom of Judah under Asa's leadership were really going in a positive direction. The people were beginning to, to really trust in the Lord. God had given them this great victory over the Cushite army and everything seemed to be going in a positive direction until the 36th year of Asa's reign. And at that time, the king of Israel, the other kingdom, they began to move aggressively 
against the kingdom of Judah. And now we're going to see what was Asa's second pivot, pivot number two. The Bible says there in 2 Chronicles 15 that instead of going back to the Lord again and saying, God, we are your people, we rely on you. Instead of that, the Bible says that Asa took money, gold and silver, from the temple treasury. In fact, he even added his own money. And he got that money together. And he decided that he was going to do something with that money. You see, the kingdom of Israel, they had paid the king of Damascus to come and begin to help them uh, with their aggression against Judah. And so Asa paid the king of Damascus to change his mind. And rather than to, uh, to help in the aggression toward Judah, that he would turn against Israel. So he was no longer trusting God to fight their battles. He was using his own resources. He was using the temple treasury money to accomplish what God had done for them by his own strength and his own power and his own might previously. I want to read from Psalm 27 or 20 verse 7. This is really I think a very convicting verse not only regarding um, what Israel would have been going through but what you and I or even our country might be going through. The psalmist says some trust in chariots and some in horses but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Imagine what Asa's mind must have been thinking you know, we've really been prospering. We've really been doing well. We've got a lot of resources. And so I'm not going to ask God to come through for us. I'm just going to buy this victory. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy off the king of Damascus. You know, we need to realize, just as, as Judah was not too big to fail, and God judged King Asa for his actions, that our nation is not too big to fail. I've been thinking today about how the rest of the world is looking at our country. The rest of the world is waiting to see something happen. And over the last nearly 250 years of our nation's history, the world has watched as often our nation has sought the Lord. As often, our nation has cried out to the Lord, saying, you are our God. They're waiting to see what is going to happen in America. And America is not too big to fail. I want you to understand that as a nation, we need to pivot. We need to change our strategy. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. That is something that we need to do as a nation. We must understand that we are not too big to fail. 
Next, I want us to understand that, that we've got to put our trust in God repeatedly, not once, but time and time again. And that brings us to my second point, that we must pivot and pivot again. I'd like to use a couple of examples from the business world to describe uh, and give really a positive example and then a negative example about companies or businesses that, that either pivoted or did not pivot. And the first example that I, I want to bring to your attention, I want to start with a question. Uh, and that is, uh, have you, do you remember renting videos at the video store? Now we can still, uh, we've been able to do that here in our community. We have one, I believe one video store left in our community. Um, have you ever paid a late fee? There is nothing more aggravating to me than, than renting a $2 or a $3 movie and when you bring it back and you want to rent another movie and you find out that you have to pay about an $8 late fee for that movie. Man, that's aggravating to me. Well, there's a company that, uh, that was a video rental company and I will almost bet you that some of you in your your, your, you, you've got some place where your TV is, you've got a box of, of DVDs, you've got a, and, and there's a few VHSs in there. My guess is some of you have, and I think we do at our house, I, I wasn't able to find it, but I think we still have a, a, a VHS uh, in a box that says Blockbuster on it. If, you, if you're like that, just, just make sure you message me so I feel better about myself. But, but you've got, you, we, we all probably rented VHSs and, and DVDs from Blockbuster. Well, in, in 2004, Blockbuster was worth $3 billion. They had over 9,000 stores and worldwide they had over 84,000 employees in those stores. Here's where I'm going with the late fees. In one year, Blockbuster brought in $800 million in late fees alone. Did you hear that? That's why I'm aggravated because that totals up to millions and millions, 800 million in, in one year just in late fees. Well, in 2000, a little company approached, approached Blockbuster, somebody who was nowhere near the value. In fact, they, they, were, they were worth a fraction of what Blockbuster was. And they saw that th there could be a great partnership that it was worked out. And so they approached Blockbuster and they said, hey, we'd like you to buy us. And I'm sure that Blockbuster thought what everybody thinks when you think of buying something, how much does it cost? And this little company said 50 million dollars. Blockbuster thought about it and they said, you know what? I think we're good just the way we are. Now, I want you to understand that today there is one Blockbuster left in the entire world. From over 9,000 stores, there's one left and it's located in Bend, Oregon. 
and they have since been told that they're the last store in existence. It has actually rejuvenated them, and I want you to understand how warped that is, that they have been re rejuvenated because they're the last one. That company should have been rejuvenated 20 years ago so that they weren't in the position that they're in, but they find themselves rejuvenated because they're the last store in the blockbuster chain. Well, this little company that had approached them was a company that I think many of you know of and probably subscribe to. It's a company called Netflix. Netflix is now worth $202 billion. Blockbuster failed to pivot. And as a result, they have effectively corporately died. Let me ask you another question. And this is going to bring us to another example from the business world. How many of you use PayPal? I know that in my family, my wife uh, uses PayPal from time to time. And PayPal started um, by, um, by being a, a, a code-developing uh, writing company for PDAs. So when you had your, your, your personal digital, you know, um, thing that you had initially at the very beginning of, of cell phones coming out and they were being developed, they would write code for it. Well, they pivoted from that and they became a company that, that focused on sending cash through your mobile phone. Then immediately they pivoted again, and then they, they were really focusing on sending IOUs through one particular PDA that was called a Palm Pilot. They sort of put all their eggs in one basket and said, we think Palm Pilot is really gonna, gonna take our company where we wanna go. But the problem was that Palm Pilot didn't reach critical mass. And so they had to pivot again. And so they pivoted the third time, and this time they focused on being an email-based payment system. Now, in that process, they had a, a merger that took place. Um, some of you have heard the name Elon Musk. Well, Elon Musk had an online bank company called X.com. And they merged with X.com, and then they began to focus solely on eBay. They wanted to be the, the, the financial um, uh, process of, of exchanging funds between customers on eBay. Well, then eventually eBay gets the idea, hey, we need to buy PayPal and make it part of eBay. So they were sold to eBay for $1.5 billion in 2002. Now here's where it really gets good because life is tooling along, tremendous success. I'm sure PayPal thought, man, we have achieved it. We have become everything that we wanted to be. And, and they thought that's probably it. But somebody had the idea and said, you know, maybe by being a part of eBay, maybe we're really limiting our success. So if we would separate from eBay, maybe we could become more and more valuable. Today, eBay, since separ or 
PayPal since separating from eBay. PayPal since 2015. Now they are worth $84 billion. And I want us to understand that in today's financial culture and culture of all kinds, not just in business, but, but PayPal is not the exception. PayPal is the rule, and the rule is that we must pivot or we will die. We need to shift. PayPal shifted to a new strategy. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. I want to read those for you. James says this, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what tomorrow, what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. My point is this, that there are no guarantees in this life. We can't just say we're going to continue business as usual and that we're going to have the success that we want to have. Whether it's, it's in, in business, whether it's in our personal life, certainly as a nation, we cannot just continue to do business as usual. And success is not a given when we take that sort of approach. We need, as a nation, to shift to God's strategy. Do you know that Jeremiah said this, that God knows the plans that he has for you? I believe that that is nationally as well as us individually, that God has a plan for our nation. And do you know what a plan is? <clears throat> a plan is a strategy. America needs to pivot. America needs to shift to a new strategy. And that brings us to our third point. We need as a nation to pivot or we will die. Yesterday was the 4th of July. I hope you had a wonderful time on that holiday. I hope you were able to celebrate with family and friends. I hope you really enjoyed the beautiful weather. I'm reminded that yesterday was the 244th birthday here in America. And I realize that, that there was, 244 years ago, there was a seismic shift in the world. There was a pivot that took place, and it was, pal it was palpable, the, the atmosphere. March 23rd, 1775, in St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia, Patrick Henry said the words that many of us have heard before, give me liberty or give me death. What Henry was saying was pivot or die. You know, 150 years before Henry said that, 37 separatist Puritans pivoted. 
They wanted freedom. They left England. They wanted religious freedom. And so they took a two-month luxury boat cruise on the Mayflower, and they landed in Plymouth, and they began the Plymouth Colony in order to break away from the persecution so that they could worship as they desired. Talk about a new pivot. Talk about a new strategy. But when we go back then to our nation's birth, just weeks before the Declaration of Independence was signed, it was March 16, 1776, the Continental Congress was meeting and John Hancock makes a proclamation of a day of fasting and prayer. And let me read to you exactly what Hancock wrote there in his proclamation, he says this, in times of impending calamity and distress, he is describing America in 2020. In times of impending calamity and distress, when the liberties of America are imminently endangered, with true penitence of heart and the most reverent devotion publicly to acknowledge the overruling providence of God, to confess and deplore our offenses against him. What Hancock is doing is he is asking God to intervene in America. He is asking God to forgive the sins of the nation. They are repenting. They are calling out on God because America is in danger. Their freedoms are being threatened by the, bridge, the British and they are pivoting again with God's help. I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 19 where the prophet Isaiah says this, See, I am doing a new thing. This is God speaking. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This new nation would provide religious freedom for millions of upon millions, and the growth of our nation has impacted the world. There have been many other pivotal moments in our history. Some of them we have pivoted the wrong way and made miserable mistakes. But once again, we find ourselves at a critical point of change. It's time for us to shift to a new strategy. It's time for us to make a pivot. You see, we can't keep doing what we've been doing because if we do, we're going to keep getting what we've been getting. And we need to pivot. We need to change. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What Chronicles is saying is if my people will pivot, 
friends, today, as we come off of celebrating the 4th of July, as we're still in that celebration mode, I would invite you today to begin to pray for our nation that we will pivot, that we will shift to a new strategy that God will lead us to. We're going to close our service by worshiping together today. That song that we sang at the end of our worship time before I preached, that song is a song that we talk about even when I don't see that you're working. You never stop working. The song is Waymaker. Let's take a moment. Let's pray together. Let's intercede for our nation that our nation will pivot, that our nation will turn to God and seek God's face and his strategy for our direction and that we will see America rise again. Let's pray together. Let's worship. Father, I thank you. I thank you that even though we can't see at this moment exactly what you're doing, we are confident that you are never going to stop working on our behalf and on the behalf of our nation. Father, today we pray that as a nation we would pivot, that we would have a shift in our strategy as a nation and that we would look to you and that once again we could cry out and say you are our God and we are one nation under God. Father, I pray bring about that pivot in this nation today that we might be a people that glorify your name. Father, we ask you today to heal our land. In Jesus' name we pray.